Uh, well, we are uh, going through the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament. Uh, a lot of the minor prophets, um, many, I think this is a chunk of books that we usually don't read a lot because they can get really confusing really fast. Um, and so some of them are easier to understand. Malachi, I think, is a, um, fa- well, I was, I was going to say fascinating, but I've been told by Mandy and a few other people that that's the word I use over and over. So I'm going to choose a new word. It's re- interesting. It's really good. So it means the same thing as fascinating. Um, so as we looked at Malachi last week, it began with the question of God's people saying, uh, "Do God, do you really love us? Because it didn't seem like God really loved them. And God answers that question and talks about uh, election and electing uh, a people for himself and giving them life. But now um, in these, the rest of the five disputations, um, it's really God saying to the people, I've told you that I loved you. Now I'm asking you, do you even love me? And so these are really sharp and direct and piercing. Um, the first uh, section here is that uh, the, the people aren't really interested in giving offerings that are acceptable. And then, uh, beginning in chapter 2, God confronts the priests, and he says, hey, you're allowing this to happen. And so I'm going to read uh, Malachi 1, beginning of verse 6, through chapter 2, verse 9. And is is a little bit confusing, but I think it's important to see some of these sharp words that are written, um, God to his people, about the way that they're worshiping him. And he confronts them. But remember, what comes before this confrontation? God affirming his love for his people. So God has affirmed that, and now he confronts their practices and their heart. Malachi 1, beginning of verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor, will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us, With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations." And in every place, incense will be offered in my name. And a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. 
But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, that its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. This you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and then sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings indeed. I have already cursed them because you did not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offspring, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi will stand the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave it to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of my priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Ah. That is a uh, very direct piercing um, message that God gave through his messenger uh, to Israel about the practices that they were in. This begins with uh, the question, if I'm a father, where is my honor? We know that uh, in the fifth commandment, this is the commandment, honor your father and your mother this, is common, this was common knowledge that this community had to honor your father and your mother. So not only is it a command, uh, it is actually common in all cultures that children respect and honor their parents. Lacking honor and respect and uh, obedience reveals a deeper breakdown in a relationship. I think that's really important as we look through this. It's not that God is just concerned about these outward things, but he's concerned about what these outward things mean and symbolize and how they point back to the heart of God's people. The priests are named as the ones who despise God's name, and so are the people. And the priests fail in two areas. Uh, which is key to their calling. They fail in overseeing the uh, offering of sacrifices. They're turning a blind eye. They don't really care. They're apathetic. It's no big deal. 
and then they fail to teach the law of God. This is what they are called to do. The outward unfaithfulness reveals the attitude of their heart, despised the name of the Lord. Uh, The name of the Lord is something significant in the Bible. When um, the Lord spoke to Moses, um, and Moses gives a blessing to Aaron in Numbers uh, chapter 6. It says, speak to Aaron and his son, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them, and we all have heard this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. One of the blessings of being God's people was that God's name is upon them. And then we see here that God's people have despised the name of God that is upon them. The the priests were to lead the people in worship, but they have become worse than careless and apathetic. They have become despised. The root of this is not that uh, they don't long to worship greatness, but the greatness that they are worshiping is not the God who offers life. Uh, We all worship something. Something stirs our passion and desire and longing. There's always something. And we could put a stamp on it and say, say, that is greatness. And in our culture, it could easily be something like a career. It could be uh, just financial success. It could be uh, your name and the educational letters after it. It could be anything. But we are to worship the greatness of God above all things. These people have become passionate about temporal pleasure and success. Just imagine that. Do you think they'll be hard? Uh, this, is, this is what tugs at our heart. This is what draws us. Is there so many things that appear to be so much better and greater than the greatness of God. And we would much rather devote our life to those things than to devote our life to the greatness of God, living as his people, proclaiming his name. So what is that for you? What has gripped your heart so much that you would skip work? What has gripped your heart so much that you would give up uh, your Daily coffee to have that thing, to, to have money to pay for that. What is that that you long for? This is what Malachi is confronting. What you love, you will sacrifice for. And you are not sacrificing for God. We have this, we have a perfect worshiper, which is Jesus. He's the perfect sacrifice. God does not need us to worship him so that he will become more glorious. Uh, God is not waiting uh, for us to sing louder or clap louder or yell louder or recite something that he will, uh, his glory is somehow lifted up. Like in Elf, you know, when 
I know we've all seen that movie. Uh, where the, the, was it the Santa meter on the sleigh and everyone, the Christmas cheer? Uh, sometimes we have that idea, like that's what, that's what God is doing. He's waiting for us to glorify him. And then this meter goes up and then, ah, he's glorified. Uh, God is glorious. He lacks nothing. So why does God call us to glorify and honor him? One, because it's true. And also because it is good for us as his people. This is what we're made for. It's interesting thinking about this sacrificial system in the Old Testament. If you've spent time reading the Old Testament, it is so foreign to us as people. Um, it was so bloody and smelly, it's unimaginable to us. The blood running from the temple, draining out of it because of all the sacrifices. And I wonder if it ever crossed someone's mind in that moment thinking, why does God need dead animals? I imagine a children would ask that question. Like, here's this God that we serve that uh, we shouldn't even say his name because he's so holy. And what does he need? Dead animals? Why does God ask for those? Points to Jesus. That's the significant reason. And I think another reason is it's costly. It's costly. A perfect animal is costly. So if you and I were in the Old Testament and we were walking our perfect, unblemished animal to the temple to be slaughtered, to honor God, to fulfill what he has called us to do in the ceremonial system, we walk by people from other nations, and what would they say? I'll give you money for that. That is a waste but what are, what are these people communicating? What they're communicating is, God is this great that I can give this animal who is, this is the most prized thing I have, I can sacrifice it. And that does not begin to touch God's greatness. Worship was costly in the Old Testament. And if people understood how great this God was, then the sacrifice would make sense. But what's happening to the nation of Israel, what they're saying is, you know, God wants this perfect animal. They're just like slaughtered there, and then we'll just give them a blemished one. It's really no big deal. Saying, I can just give God the leftovers. and he, He's still going to be great. But what happens is it reveals the hardness of heart of God's people. And I think we can ask the same questions about ourselves uh, when we uh, gather for worship. Why would you uh, gather with God's people on a Sunday morning? Uh, there are so many other things that are more entertaining than this. Maybe even more momentarily fulfilling than this. But why do we carve out this time on a Sunday? Because God is that great. 
Why should you uh, plan your week thinking about this day? Because God is so great, and this helps us understand how to live as human beings. It's not as if God should become a priority at 10 o'clock, well, 10.05, because really everyone's late. Um, that at 10.05, you know what? Family, we're devoting everything to God for the next hour, and then you can drift off at the end of the sermon. But for an hour, God is that great that we're giving him attention. We're going to listen to him. We're going to sing stuff. Kids, don't move, behave. And then what happens the rest of the week? Or what happens with the things that you learn here on Sunday? Not just the sermon, but all the things we walk through in our worship service. We walk through all these things because they're significant. And they're important. We need to be reminded how glorious God is. And what great need we have of the saving, completed work of Jesus. Sometimes we think, well, God doesn't really care how we worship him. Because if this is really just pointing to our heart, then as long as our heart's right, we can do anything. Uh, God is really specific about he's to be worshipped. If you look in the Old Testament, all the time that is written about how the temple is to be rebuilt. What is the priest supposed to wear? Uh, when is the time that the priest can go into the Holy of Holies, which was the presence of God? What your sacrifices are to look like. God cares. He cares about how he is worshipped. But these people, God's people in Israel... They don't want the worship of God to cost them anything. They want it to be easy and comfortable, palatable. It shouldn't really confront them. It should be, it should be easy. They should be able to take any animal, no big deal. Or, you know, later, maybe just a picture of an animal. Wouldn't that suffice? But this is good for God's people to be realigned so they understand how glorious and great God is. First four commandments talk about worshiping God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. They're in Exodus 20 if you want to read them. But what do these tell us? Uh, these things are costly. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? God is concerned about our time. He's concerned about what we invest in. Not just on that one day, the Sabbath. But he's concerned about how we align our week so we make a Sabbath. Because God has called us to. And it's a day of mercy and rest and worship. Worship realigns our priorities. Worship um, causes us to uh, plan our schedule a little bit better. And it costs something. Uh, we have this 
in our culture, and this has happened in the last probably 70 years, and, and I'm in it too, I'm not immune to this, we have preferences of music and uh, sermons and length of sermons and what else we do in the service, and we go to a church and we sort of have our little checkbox of, okay, good, good, eh, I guess I'll do okay, I guess I'll do okay. Um, imagine what that consumer mentality would look like in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Because I know they had that same thought. If we have it, they had it. Do we really have to do this? Get a smaller goat that I can carry. Because this one can't walk. But no one can tell it can't walk. So just walk over there. And We have some kind of preference. So how are we to worship God? We're to worship God the way he tells us to worship him. And that, that means we do things in our service like confess our sin together. We, we read a confession of sin. And we have time for you to silently confess. Yeah, that's pretty awkward. Um, but it's glorifying to God because it realigns us to Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. We ever so slightly put ourselves in the center of this drama of worship. And our preferences begin to rise of what we see as this is what worship should be. In the Bible, worship is not entertainment. And it never is. It's not having a feeling or an experience of something. It's not even an event to watch. Um, and it's one thing I really enjoy about Aaron is he does not stand up here and want people to point to him. He wants to worship with us. And that's what we do. Why do we do? Why do we read things together as a community? Because you're a part of this worship. Uh, if I stood up here or other men or women stood up here and just read stuff to you, we could just glaze over. But you participate in this. We all participate in this. And all that we do in a service should point to the greatness of God. Which means uh, your idol and my idol of what I want worship to be will have to be confronted. And what we do in our service is we try to go through the pattern of the gospel. If you have your bulletin, you see that our service begins with God calling us. Uh, God calls us to a relationship with him, and he calls us to worship him in the midst of his people. And then we're cleansed by God. So not only does God call us because we want to do something else, he calls us and then he cleanses us, and then we respond to God. We have a time where we give of our tithes and offerings. We have a time where we hear the Bible read. We, we hear a sermon that's based on Scripture. We're renewed by God. And then we're sent out. This is the pattern um, that, uh, of the Christian life. God calls, God cleanses, we respond, we're nourished, and we're sent. This is the daily pattern of the Christian life. And this is what we do on Sunday morning. And so, on a Sunday, um, we, want all of the, we want God to use all of these things to speak to you and to lead you, and to nourish you. And so when I do preach a lousy sermon, but I know, like, 
Okay, at the end of that sermon, lousy. But, you know, we have communion. God meets us. We have confession and assurance of pardon. God meets us. We sing truths of God. God meets us. So we do have more, maybe more complicated liturgy. And I think some of that is that we all learn different ways. And I want to give this church the most opportunities we can to hear from God on Sunday morning. So as this passage goes on, and verse 10 is fascinating to me, the question is, uh, what if we just, God would prefer that maybe we just shut the doors to the temple instead of having worship that's unacceptable. That is a harsh So, as a pastor, I could never imagine standing up here and saying this and thinking anyone's going to show up again. But saying this, like, hey, all of us, we're horrible at worshiping God. So, you know what? We're just going to shut this down next week. And if you're really serious, you come in two weeks. Ouch! That is how serious God is about how he is worshiped. Verse 11 says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered in my name, and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. His name will be great. Verses 12 through 14 talk about the issue of the the nation of Israel that The outward form of their worship and obedience reveals the inner hard-heartedness toward God and his commands. Uh, They're calloused. Their form of worship was brazenly offensive. This is a functional denial of God's kingship. God is the king who owns all things. He is the ruler of the universe. And for people to come and say, yeah, I'll acknowledge you as king. I will, I will say that. But then here's how I'm going to function. I'm going to do whatever is really comfortable for me. This is like when uh, we sing a joyful song about God's forgiveness and we're passionate about it. And then we leave and we are unforgiving. We sing about God's great generosity and hospitality to us, welcoming into his family, and then we leave and we don't give a dime to anyone. Or we don't give our time to anyone in need. That's what God is confronting here. In chapter 2, he talks about Levi He says, my covenant was with him, was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me, and he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. He turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts, but you have turned aside from the way. His covenant was uh, for life and peace. 
God uh, knew that God's, his people needed uh, the priesthood to guide them in what to, how are we supposed to offer something and then to hear the law of God. True instruction was in his mouth. His life, their life modeled obedience. They had an intimate walk with God. They proclaimed God's law to people in all of life. But the people need a better priest because this priesthood fails. It is insufficient. And so what do we have? We have Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the Holy Son of God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the perfect last sacrifice. Hebrews 4, the end of chapter 4 says this, Since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The sacrificial system is over. So this thought of, of in the Old Testament of this perfect, unblemished animal, you know, as you walked with your family toward the temple and you'd think in your head, why do we have to give this perfect animal? Because it points to Jesus. Because the only thing acceptable to God is perfection. And you and I don't, you and I cannot accomplish it. And so what do we need? We need something that will be in our place. And it's Jesus. And it's Jesus. So what does this mean for today? Is this, does this mean that when we come to worship, we have to do everything perfectly, and then it's acceptable to God? No. Our worship is acceptable, as faulty as it may be, because of Jesus. Because his sacrifice was perfect, where our sacrifices all lack. We don't sing loud enough. We sing too loud. We, uh, we don't read smoothly. We, we read too much. We read too little. We don't pay attention to the whole sermon. We doze off. We blah, blah, blah. Worship is acceptable because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so this, this, this here is not to say we need to be much better worshipers because if not, God isn't going to receive it. He receives our worship because of Jesus. What does God, what does God uh, want us to live in? He wants us to live in this space where worship is a part of our life, where we understand the sacrifice of worship. And we understand that if you want to long for something great, God is the only thing that will be fulfilling. Anything else you long for will let you down. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And you are set free, and you are forgiven, and you are loved as his child, not because you sing well, or you don't sing, or you like this in our service, or you don't like this in our service. It is only because of Jesus. And as a church, this is what we want to point you toward. 
Now, it'd be great if we did sing louder and, you know, participated more, you know, but our worship is acceptable to God because of Jesus, and that is it. And so what I ask of you is that you uh, take time this week as you think about next Sunday and figure out what does it mean to sacrifice time to gather with God's people on a Sunday morning. You don't have to bring a perfect animal, just yourself. Prayerfully walk through the doors, open-handed, ready to receive uh, the truth of God, ready to be around the people of God, ready to meet someone else in their need and brokenness. God loves you, and he is the greatest you could ever, ever long for or worship. Let's pray. Most gracious Father, we thank you for the great work of Jesus and that because of his perfect sacrifice, you receive us as your people through faith. We pray that you would strengthen our faith, that we would know more of your holiness and greatness, that you would increase our faith, that we would rest in you more than anything else we could long for. And we do ask that you would make us passionate worshipers of you throughout our days. Thank you for your uh, goodness to us. Thank you for the great work of Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen.